So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 9 from verse 35. We will start. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics, or sandals or a staff where the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet him. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave the house, leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will, break, will, will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant of his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Please keep your Bibles open. Uh, well, I don't know about you, uh, but the last few days have felt pretty exhausting. 
Um, and I've spent far too much time trawling through the latest news reports. And I've had my f- year's ration of phone calls with family in just a few days. Um, I'm not used to speaking them, to them that often. Uh, and sometimes it's been with Hannah from separate rooms. Uh, well, seriously, I've spoken to friends and family nearly every day. Uh, I think I've even had three phone calls with Verona in one day. Well, that's not why it's been exhausting, though. Uh, it's not just that flu uh, wiped me out for a little bit of it, though a bit of sif- sympathy would be really nice. Um, no, that's not it. I think uh, the reason I've been exhausted is that this situation and the change we're in, well, it's a stress test uh, for what we believe. It's a stress test for what we believe. And that is true of Christians, and it will also be true of those who wouldn't call themselves Christians. Suddenly what we can otherwise comfortably and conveniently put our faith in, well, it's called into question, isn't it? Will it survive the stress test? By that I mean what we believe is either a wonderful comfort to us in these times, or frankly it's worthless It's either wishful thinking or it's everything we could ever need. But what it can't be is purely theoretical. For this reason, if you're a Christian, this will be a time of significant growth for you. You'll find yourself wanting to pray more, reading your Bible and spending time on the things that matter and fixing your eyes on Jesus. And we've already seen how this can be a time of great opportunity People we know, and even those we don't usually talk to, are asking things they'd never do normally. And yet, while it is absolutely and wonderfully true uh, that that this is a time of great opportunity and significant growth, you might, like me, be feeling quite daunted uh, by this time. After all, will will I really know what to say when my colleague or family member uh, drops that bazooka question why would a good good God allow this to happen and how will growth come about we, we, we know it can be a time of great growth but what will that look like well I reckon at this point in Jesus's mission at the end of chapter 9 start of chapter 10 well that's not far from how the disciples are feeling too uh, let's read verse 35 to verse 4 of chapter 10 Uh, Verse 35 of chapter 9. And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. And he called him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, who betrayed him. Jesus has just told these guys of the extraordinary need. Uh, he, he looks at the crowd and they might look like they've got it all together. But Jesus sees what we don't see. 
They are spiritually like sheep without a shepherd. There's something more deadly than coronavirus going on here, and it's already spread to the entire human race. It's a pride that says we don't need God, and the so-called freedom to run away from him like we saw last week ends only in hopeless despair. But it also ends in eternal judgment. Jesus doesn't just have compassion, though. He can actually help them. He is their good shepherd that will lay down his life for them. So it's a, it's a flock, a gathering of extraordinary need, but it's also an abundant harvest. So the shortage he talks about is not uh, the need or the opportunity, but workers. And Jesus calls them to ask him and he will send out labourers. Well, he immediately sends out more. And actually, it's the 12 people who just asked him <laughs> for more workers. You see how he prepares their hearts um, to see uh, first their deep need and the impossibility of the task and humbles them to ask him to do it. Then they are ready. Then he sends them. They're on the edge of something big, just like us. And I'd imagine their feelings were similar to ours. Huge anticipation, yes, but mixed with massive uncertainty. How is this all going to play out? And will, be, will we be equipped and ready? What will we say to people? Well, the good news for us is, and the good news for them is, that Jesus understands their fear. Uh, so if you look at verse 19, they're going to fear how they are to speak and what they will say. In verse 26, they could be fearful of the ones they're going to stand before, governors and kings, powerful people. Any of us would be scared. And yet all they will need to keep going in the face of hostility are Jesus's authority, Jesus's message and his spirit. So we're going to look at those things. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is Jesus's authority and his message. This is my first point. Uh, go. We are to go with Jesus's authority and his message. Uh, so look at verse one of chapter 10. He called them to him, 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Notice that the kind of authority Jesus gives them is his own. The list of things they'll have authority over, well, they're, they're the kind of things that Jesus himself has authority over and has demonstrated to us in the previous chapter. In verse 8, they're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Uh, and in verse 35, we just read, haven't we, that he went healing every disease and affliction. So what are they going to say? So that's his authority. What are they going to say? Well, the message they proclaim is about Jesus, um, and it will be accompanied by his powerful works. Uh, but they are to have his priority to the lost sheep of the house of Israel in verse 5. So verse 5 says, Go nowhere amongst the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Apostle means sent ones, and they are to go to many villages and towns around Galilee. Later, Jesus says they won't have gone through every town before Jesus appears again after his resurrection. It's worth saying here that these two things are linked. Their mission, which was first to Israel, 
and the powerful signs that accompany and authenticate their mission, their message about Jesus. So at the coming of the Holy Spirit, they would actually receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And in the same way that we would never limit our evangelism to Jews, our message doesn't need to be confirmed by the same kind of miracles for, for, for a second time because it's already been done. Their message is our message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, it's worth just hanging on to that for a minute because many people will argue that unless you perform healings, great signs, no one's going to believe your message about Jesus. It's worth seeing that actually just a little bit after these chapters, the Pharisees are going to pester Jesus for more signs. And both times his, his abrupt response is, no more sign is going to be given except the sign of Jonah, which is his death and resurrection. Uh, there's a conversation between Abraham and Lazarus um, in another of the Gospels, which where he says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the sign has been done. The miracles have shown that this is the message that Jesus has uh, for all people. And we have that message too. Uh, we we are, have a message about the kingdom and it's a simple message because Jesus himself said in Matthew four seventeen, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now in verse seven, I've just read it. He tells the disciples to proclaim as they go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message. Their message and our message is Jesus's message. The kingdom of heaven is here. And that means there's a king who has come. Jesus has come. He has come to save sinners and he will come again. The obvious implication of this for those who are denying Jesus' authority, well, it's what Jesus said, repent. Turn around, turn to him. Stop rebelling against him. Seek his forgiveness. And that some people will need to tell people that too. Uh, however unpopular or bigoted that may sound, whatever their reaction will be, their current choice isn't just ill-advised, it's disastrous. Unless they abandon it entirely, for the sure hope of God's forgiveness in Jesus, they will be eternally uh, uh, away from him. Uh, so summary quickly, um, we've seen that Jesus's authority is given to the apostles and his message is given to them. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we've seen that the disciples won't need to invent a whole new strategy or model of ministry. Everything they are to do and all they are to say is what Jesus has already been doing and saying. So he gives them all they need to do it. That's simply it. He gives them everything they're going to need. They know he, they have his authority to go and they know they have the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and I think his authority will be particularly important in their minds when they stand before these kings and governors, because the temptation then will be to see only the authority of the highest official in the room. The guy who can order them to be thrown in jail or put to death. 
they have Jesus's message. There's a king and a kingdom and he's arrived. That's their message. But there's more that Jesus promises them. And this is our final point. And um, we're going to look at this in mainly the, the verses from 16 uh, through to verse 20. So I'll read that in a moment. But the point is this. They not only have his authority in his message, they have his spirit. To expect suffering and endure suffering. They have his spirit. Uh, to expect suffering. So I'll read verses 16 to 20. It says this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. If you think about the opposition so far for the disciples, it's not been that severe, really, yet. So far, it's actually just been the kind of murmurings we heard in chapter nine. Remember those things? He shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be with them. Shouldn't they be fasting? It's it's undermining thing, uh, what they're asking, but it's hardly threatening, is it? And yet by the end of chapter nine, well, that's gone through the gears, hasn't it? Because it's a public accusation now. Uh, by the prince, let's read verse 34. But the Pharisee said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. It's upfront and it's a lot more menacing. And yet it's still not a violent threat, really. And yet um, they ain't seen nothing yet. The disciples haven't seen nothing yet. Because we know, don't we, that Jesus' opposition is coming. And finally... Jesus will be hauled before a sham trial and sent, bloodied and naked, to his painful execution. That's where this is going to go. And Jesus says opposition is to be expected for anyone who follows him. It's actually going to be his main focus for the rest of this chapter. So we'll be back here next week to look at that from verses uh, 26 onwards. Opposition is to be expected. The certain promise to them is that they will suffer as he did. It, might, it will come in some kind of form to all those who are associated with Jesus. And it's important for us to know that too. But Jesus says the spirit is with them and will give them the words to say. And they're going to be hauled in verse 18, uh, dragged before governors and kings. And he gives them two reasons why. Um, let's look at that. It says you will be dragged before governors and kings to bear witness before uh, for my sake. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. The first is this. The first reason is for his sake. First explanation is their solidarity with Jesus. But actually you could hear it as for his sake, for his purposes, they will bear witness that's the second thing, isn't it? 
uh, and you will be my witnesses and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Uh, Verona says she's been reading Acts. Um, she t- spoke to me about it the other day. And this is exactly what you see and she's been seeing. Any opposition, it actually only creates a bigger platform or a wider audience for the message about Jesus. You will bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Um, let's continue in verses tw- 19 to 20. Pick up your Bibles again. It says this. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For you are what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Well, the disciples, remember them at the start, they're feeling a little bit anxious like we are. We know there's a big opportunity Something big is going to happen. But we're also feeling a little bit daunted. What are we going to say? We've seen that uh, Jesus gives us his message. He is the king and his kingdom is coming when he returns. So that's our simple message. But he also gives us his spirit, um, which is great news because actually we we don't need to be the experts on every answer to everyone's questions. Um, He will give us the words to say. Um, What else does this mean for us? Well, um, if you think about it, it means that opposition is known to God. It isn't strange or unexpected. He saw it coming and he tells us about it. And opposition can't mean that we've got things wrong either. No, it's actually the complete opposite. It's even a confirmation that we're on the right track. So when opposition comes, we know that we're on the right track. Uh, I'll read just one, a few verses from 1 Peter 4, 13 to end. It says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So, as I said, this is wonderful news because we don't go alone. You know, we go to speak and we go to um, share this news um, with the authority that Jesus has given us. But the spirit will give us words to say he is with us. And we don't need to feel the pressure to learn great answers to every difficult question. As a follower of Jesus, it is a comfort to know that we already have all that we need to do all that Jesus has sent us to do. We already have all that we need to do all that Jesus has sent us to do. Each Christian has the declaration that Jesus is the king of the world. Every Christian has been sent with the authority of Jesus. And as we've seen in the closing words of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority is given to me, therefore go. And his promise is that he will be with them by his spirit every christian has the spirit whose work is testifying to jesus Uh, if you wouldn't call yourself a christian but you've come into contact with one recently it's important actually that you realize um the outcome to weigh up is verses 14 to 15 um of this chapter isn't it it says this 
If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The outcome to weigh up is this. Jesus says his final verdict on all people will depend on whether the message and the messengers were welcomed and received. And that really shows how important it is to listen to him and to listen to what Jesus is saying through his apostles, through the people who carry his message today. And those who reject his testimony and their testimony and will not listen, uh, they would be worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah when he comes in judgment. Uh, Let's pray. Um, I'm going to pray now and maybe I'll give you a few moments to pray over some of these things. Uh, Jesus' authority and his message has been given to us. His spirit gives us the words to say uh, when we go through suffering. It's an opportunity to speak. Um, But let's pray that God would help us um, to know that for ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we, we... naturally think that any kind of uh, lashback um, is is bad um, and we struggle when people don't like us um, we, we really want people to like us and yet thank you that you um, through your son have brought us into a family and an eternal life with you And uh, thank you that Jesus has gone before us. Thank you that he promises, he tells us the truth, really, that um, following him, being associated with him, uh, we will be treated like him. And please help us uh, today uh, to be thinking through what that means for ourselves. Uh, Please help us not to um, to just uh, assume that everyone will uh, respond well. And please help us to make the most of the opportunities that even the difficult things bring. Uh, we pray that we would know that your spirit is speaking through us, um, even when we don't uh, have the, the clever answers uh, to all the questions. Uh, thank you that you can speak. Thank you that Jesus is king and he's coming again. Amen.